questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. From the report from Iron Mountain, dated September 30th, 1966. Here's an excerpt. The existence of an accepted external menace is essential to social cohesiveness, as well as to the acceptance of political authority. The menace must be believable. It must be of a magnitude consistent with the complexity of the society threatened, and it must appear to affect the entire society. It has been hotly argued that such a menace would offer the last, best hope of peace by uniting mankind against the danger of destruction by creatures from other planets or from outer space. However unlikely some of the possible alternate enemies we have mentioned may seem, we must emphasize that one must be found of credible quality and magnitude if a transition to peace is ever to come about without social disintegration. It is more probable that such a threat will have to be invented rather than developed from unknown conditions. Tonight, we'd have an extraordinary person who has had extraordinary experiences in his life, and all his conclusions are based on the experiences that he's had. His first appearance on Veritas was 10 years ago, and it's probably one of the most popular interviews I've done. So buckle up. Tonight, we'll go deep into the rabbit hole. Greetings, I'm your host, Mel Fabregas. And if you're new to the Veritas family, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, just click on the subscribe button. And don't forget to visit the Veritas store for MMS, hemp oil, pure organic sulfur, and much more. And if you want to get in touch with me, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. John Lear is a retired airline captain and former CIA contract pilot with over 19,000 hours of flight time, over 11,000 in command of three or four engine jet transports. He has flown over 100 different types of aircraft in 60 different countries around the world. He retired in 2001 after more than 40 years of flying. He is the son of Learjet inventor Bill Lear. John holds more FAA Airman certificates than any other FAA certified airman. John flew secret missions for the CIA in Southeast Asia, Eastern Europe, the Middle East, and Africa between 1967 and 1983. John held 17 world records, including speed around the world in a Learjet Model 24, set in 1966. Now we have a more comprehensive bio on our website. His website is thelivingmoon.com. And directly from Las Vegas, Nevada, I'd like to welcome the one and only John Lear. Hello, John, and welcome back to Veritas after 10 years. How are you? Hey, thanks, Mel. Uh, it's nice to be here. Nice to have you back. And right from the beginning, I want to give you credit, John, for opening my mind and my eyes about the $150 billion hoax on the American taxpayer, the so-called moon landing. Like many people, <laughs> <laughs> it was hard for me to look into the evidence, but you were, and you are convinced about this hoax and and because it's the 50th anniversary, let's begin our interview with this immaculate deception. Are you still sending that we didn't go to the moon? No, no, we did not go to the moon. And uh, Apollo 11 is uh, what happened is uh, they were 
uh, at uh, Cape Canaveral so that everybody could see them, but they weren't in the uh, <clears throat> weren't they weren't in the rocket that uh, launched, and uh, then they were flown to um, uh, Johnston Island in the Pacific, and they spent uh, eight days there uh, waiting for uh, the alleged return. So that uh, uh, when the proper time came for them to uh, come back to Earth from the alleged mission, uh, that they would just uh, get in this capsule uh, at Johnston Island, and in the capsule was in the back of a, a uh, either a C5A or or C130 or something else, and uh, they would uh, they were uh, flown uh, up over the uh, carriers waiting for them to land, <clears throat> and pushed them out and the three parachutes uh, uh, billowed out and uh, uh, the helicopter, of course they, land, they landed in the water and the helicopter came over and picked them up. Now, uh, here's the here's the clinker, is after you're on your back for eight solid days, you're gonna be a little stiff, right? So what happens is they put them on the, uh, uh, <clears throat> they, uh, Picked them up out of the uh, uh, out of the ocean, and uh, in the helicopter, flew them to the um, uh, to the aircraft carrier. And I'm trying to remember what the name of the aircraft carrier was. And uh, all the uh, the uh, press was there as they got out of the helicopter. There was a little stairway, had about uh, five or six stairs that they could go down. And what happens is they just went down those stairs like they were, uh, you know, like they had uh, not not been anywhere. And uh, they just hippity hopped down there. And uh, then they went over to the, uh, uh, to the uh, quarantine uh, trailer and they hopped over there and then they, they uh, went in there and there was absolutely no sign that <laughs> they'd been on their backs for eight days except for the two hours on the moon. But we we enjoyed that uh, that hopes, and you know, no. In the last two or three years, I've seen NASA make a, a huge concerted effort uh, to uh, make people believe that we did go. But uh, even the people that worked for NASA, uh, you know, they say, "Well, I don't know where all that stuff went. You know, we lost it." But it's impossible to lose that that much data. Do you remember, John, do you remember the first press conference? A lot of people think that that press conference was days after they returned from, quote unquote, the moon. But it was a couple of months later. It was uh, September the 16th. Do you remember that conference? What was your take when you saw that? Uh, You know, they looked scared uh, to me and they were trying to get their story straight. Uh, Did did we see the stars or... Uh, I don't know. Uh, when I looked through the uh, uh, the sextant, I could see a star. You know that kind of stuff. They just uh, weren't uh, weren't together, and and they did look scared. So, uh, but do you think um, it took two months for them to be brainwashed enough, Alam MK Ultra, to be able to say the things that the government wanted them to say? Yes, I'm trying to think now uh, how they did that. Uh, because, uh, you know, Buzz Aldrin uh, had some issues uh, that uh, he, when he was trying to remember 
uh, landing on the moon and he would get violently ill. And, uh, you know, and uh, Neil Armstrong never, ever said that much about uh, about the landing. So, <clears throat> yes, they did. Uh, uh, they did do the mind control. Let's see, that was in 19... 1969, 1971, and then uh, my friend Bob Lazar went up to test site uh, at uh, in '88, uh, and they had even uh, uh, they had even uh, uh, made the uh, uh, made the uh, mind control much better, so that uh, uh, so that when they would uh, come back from the test site, you know, they'd go to, <clears throat> uh, on, on Sunset Boulevard, that was EG&G, and there was a place that you could pull in uh, on the 737 and uh, get in the plane, then they'd take you up to Groom Lake, and then uh, they took you in a, put you in a bus, and it was about a half an hour, 45 minutes ride uh, back down to Papoose Lake. And uh, <clears throat> all this came to a screeching halt on the, uh, May on April 6th, 1980, uh, let's see, 88, uh, 1989, when we all got caught up there. And what happened is, uh, me and uh, Gene Huck and Bob and Bob's wife and Bob's wife's sister, and the five of us, uh, were there. And this is the third time we went there. <clears throat> and uh, the camel dudes had uh, caught us. And uh, when we were, uh, kind of running away, uh, we were trying to hide Bob. He said, I can't afford to get caught here. And what we did is when it looked like we were not going to be able to outrun the, the camera dudes, we stopped and Bob ran out into the desert so that they couldn't see. You know, he said, will they leave? And then I'll come back to the car. Okay. So the camera dudes show up and uh, I went over. I think there was two cars there. Uh, I went over and I put my hands on uh, the roof and I said, you know, what's going on? What's going on? And they said, uh, well, we should ask you the same. Why are you running? And, you know, I said, well, I thought we were uh, interrupting some kind of uh, a dope deal here. He said, well, no, that's not it. We need to see uh, some social security numbers and driver's license and all that. But uh, Bob didn't want to show himself. And so when uh, they finally, after I think we were there for about 45 minutes, when they finally left, or we thought they left, uh, Bob came out of the desert. And uh, uh, we chatted for about, uh, oh, maybe about 30 minutes, and then uh, went out uh on that dirt road where it meets the uh, uh, the extraterrestrial highway, and when we got onto the extraterrestrial highway, um, there was the Lincoln County Police there, and they had sirens and lights and everything, and pulled us over. <clears throat> and uh, the, the guy—I forget what the guy's name is—but uh, he was really a super super guy, and uh, the the police officer, and uh, trying to remember what he said, but uh, uh, we were all on uh, on the uh, on the outside of the car with our hands on the roofs, and he was saying, okay, all I want to know is two things. Number one, 
why is there five people in the car now and that the uh, security only saw four people uh, when they inspected this car 30 minutes ago? And then he said, and the second thing is, I want to know where the nine millimeter is. <clears throat> because when Bob went running out into the desert, he took his personal nine millimeter and uh, he made some rather bizarre. Um, now, what's the comments. word did you say? What did you say? The last part, word is what? what? You said that uh, the, he wanted to know why there were five people and before there were four, but also that there's a part that I, you got caught off all of a sudden. He wants to know, they want, the other thing is, where's the nine millimeter handgun? The nine millimeter handgun. Okay, go ahead. Okay, and that was, belonged to Bob, and he took that out uh, in the desert. And uh, when we, when they left, or we thought that security left, and we took our social security numbers in, uh, and uh, driver's license, uh, they had <laughs> only gone about a hundred yards down the run uh, down the uh, dirt road turned around and now we're filming uh, filming us in uh, infrared and uh, recording us they had a parabolic uh recorder there with what we were saying and uh, that's how they knew about the nine millimeters because uh bob made the inopportune um statement that uh I had one of those guys right in my sights, you know, and one false move, I would have blown his head away, which is bullshit, you know, maybe he did, but uh, he wasn't going to kill anybody over this. Uh, but anyway, that's where the sheriff uh, got the idea for the nine millimeter and what he wanted to, uh, he wanted to know where it was. And, you know, he never did find out. And I think we uh, were out there uh, hemmed and hawed for at least an hour. <clears throat> and, Uh, then at one point, and I forget the sheriff's name, he said, okay, I don't know why I'm being told this, but I'm being told to let you guys go and to tell you not to ever come back here again. And uh, so he let us go after all these threats about, you know, locking us up and all that. And uh, we drove back to Las Vegas in uh, total silence And the next morning is when Bob uh, got up. He was supposed to go to work that next morning, but he got a call from Dennis Mariana and said, Bob, uh, don't go out to the airplane today. Uh, I'm going to pick you up and we're going to go somewhere. And what he was going to do is, is uh, drive Bob up to uh, Indian Springs. And that's where they were going to get the debriefing. And that's where they were going to, uh, uh, be very unhappy with Bob for taking all of his friends out to the test site to watch all of mine saucers. So <clears throat> when uh, all was said and done that morning, uh, they said, you know, when you get your personal affairs worked out, and, and you know, that had to do with his wife, uh, seeing, his, uh, uh, seeing her uh, flight instructor, said, when you get that straightened out, we'd be happy to have you back. And then I asked Bob in the next couple of days if he was interested in going back, and he said no, because um, the last two trips he made up there, he could remember going up the stairs to the 737 there on uh, uh, EG&G's uh, hangar there on, that used to be on the south side of the runway 25 at Las Vegas. Is that Janet Airlines, uh, John? Pardon? Is that Janet Airlines? Yeah. 
Yeah, that was uh, okay. Jan. I'm not sure whether it's called Janet. Uh, everybody does call him Janet, but um, Dennis Mariana said uh, we're we're going to uh, drive up to uh, Indian Springs, and now that's called Creech Air Force Base, and that's where all they do all the uh, the uh, drone um, uh, drone missions. Uh, in the Middle East, yeah. and they can, you know, they have all kinds of uh, sets there where they can actually see through satellites, you know, with satellites and see what they're doing and where they're flying. It's, it's a really impressive uh, thing. But anyway, <clears throat> Bob told me, I said, are you going back? And he said, no, because what happened is the last two times I went up there, I could remember going up the steps to the 737 to drive to uh, fly to Groom Lake and I can remember coming back down the steps when we got back that evening uh, to EG&G but I couldn't remember anything in between and uh, I don't want to work under those conditions I want to remember what we're doing and they advanced the mind control to such a uh, uh, excellent uh, excellent point that uh, they uh, and they could make somebody forget uh, where they were going. Not, not just Bob, it was everybody else that worked at the test site. So do you think the same technology or the same mechanism was used with uh, Neil Armstrong and, and, and uh, Buzz Aldrin? You think that the same mechanism was used with Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong? Yes, absolutely. But uh, it was much more advanced uh, from when they had the first moon missions. The mind control was much, much better. Going back to Apollo, you probably heard recently where they're talking about, oh, we need to create better outfits and better exterior design for the for the uh, the, the, the vessel that's going to take the astronauts back to the moon in order for us to be able to go through the Van Allen belt, almost as if they're telling us We can't go through the Van Allen belt. So if we can't go now, how did we do it six times back then? <laughs> That's a good point. You know, we need uh, five feet of lead to uh, stop the uh, uh, the radiation from harming anybody who's going to go through uh, the Van Allen belt, uh, which extends from 500 miles up to 25,000 miles up. Uh, and, of course, this was discovered by... Uh, Van Allen in uh, 1959, right, uh, and this was uh, uh, very, very uh, dangerous. And they knew it then, so they knew that they were going to have to, if they were going to pretend that they were going to go to the moon, they would have to solve that uh, Van Allen belt uh, question somehow. Now, John, ten years ago, and even before that, uh, you were certain that disclosure would never happen. Do you still hold that position? Oh, absolutely. You know, I hear so many people uh, say, yeah, well, it's just around the corner. You know, look at, you know, they get these, uh, uh, they're saying this and they're saying that and they're just getting ready. It's not ever going to happen. There's going to be no disclosure. Now, uh, what the deal is, is you can ride, ride uh, read some of the books uh, or all the books that Lou Baldwin has uh, written and you can know far more than uh, disclosure would ever tell you. So the people waiting for disclosure are, you know, under the impression that uh, the government's going to tell them something. <laughs> But uh, it's not going to happen that way. 
Uh, they're not going to uh, they're not going to tell the public anything, and there is going to be no disclosure. I'm of the same belief, but if disclosure ever happens, I think it's going to come from the bottom up. Your your opinion on that? No, what's that again? I think that if disclosure ever happens, it comes from the bottom up at a grassroots level. I don't think it's going to be real from government authorities. No, yeah, you're right. Uh, it, it's not going to happen. But it would have, if it came out, there would be a lot of people saying, uh, uh, you know, what they saw. What's more important for you, John, learning or unlearning? Uh, as far as? As far as whatever we've been taught in life, all the BS that we've learned through school, university, I wonder what's more important, to learn something or to unlearn what we've learned? The only thing that's important in life, and I've uh, told every time I uh, we, we talk about this issue, we're only on earth for one thing, and that's to live our lives with integrity, without any hate or greed, and to express our loves to our families each and every day. That's, that's all we want to do, or that's all we're supposed to do. Uh, we're not here to make money. We're not here to make inventions. We're just here to live our lives or uh, make an effort to live our lives with integrity without envy, hate, or greed. And uh, as far as unlearning or learning, um, you know, I don't know that much about it, but uh, uh, all, we're, all we're supposed to do is live our lives with integrity without and be eight degrees. And I remember you said that 10 years ago, and you're saying it the same way you did back then. But just a few years ago, anyone discussing ufology, John, would appear on the mainstream media. You know, he or she would be ridiculed. That doesn't seem to be the case anymore. The media seems to be taking this topic seriously. Why do you think that is? What what has changed? You know, I don't know. There's uh, so much information out there with the web that uh, people are saying, you know, he was right about this or he was right about that. And I don't know if you uh, saw t today, today's 21st, uh, Robert Steele, who has a uh, website uh, published today, yes. my story about uh, the secret subway. And, uh, you know, they started building that in 1987. And, uh, finished it, I think, in uh, 91, and uh, their problem was uh, they were building a huge secret, uh, new secret test site between the Tonopah Test Range and Groom Lake uh, on a place called the Paiute Basin. And what they did is there's a, 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 a mountain range there called Rainier uh, range and they took the top off of a mountain, built the secret base inside, and then put the top back on. Uh, and uh, this base is uh, they need 3,000 people, or you know, 3,000 people, which was uh, 20 years ago to run it. I'm sure they need more. And their problem was how do we get? 3,000 people uh, up to the test site, up to the Paiute Mesa, uh, without anybody knowing about it. They can't use airplanes because that would tip off uh, somebody that uh, they were moving a lot of people. 
and uh, they can't use buses. They can't uh, have them uh, use their own transportation. So what they did is they planned a uh, high-speed maglev uh, subway that goes from Luxor, underneath the Luxor, about 100 feet uh, in the terminal of the Luxor, uh, to the terminal at the Aria, to the terminal uh, at the Lagio, and then up to the uh, test site. And when I watched all this going on, they called it Sandia, and I don't know what they call it now. I'm sure it's another name. Uh, but I watched them uh, uh, build all this, and I posted the pictures uh, on my uh, website, uh, thelivingmoon.com, and uh, Robert Steele posted it today, uh, and I even sent a copy uh, to uh, the Review Journal. You know, they are not the swiftest uh, newspaper people. Uh, they have a, a hard time uh, uh, with maps. Uh, they just don't know how to do it. And uh, uh, I sent, they published a map yesterday uh, on a story about uh, the alleged uh Attack on Area 51 that's coming in, uh, yeah. uh, coming in September, and uh, they had a picture of the Nevada test site, and they had uh, Area 51 as a rectangle and uh, Groom Lake as a, as a blob in the northeast part of this rectangle. It was just it just all screwed up. So I wrote them, emailed them. And I said, you know, here's the problem. Uh, you need to take a little bit uh, better care of the information you give to the public. And I got a letter. See if I can have it here. I don't think so. Got an email from one of the guys at Review Journal and said they had looked at all the stuff they had and they couldn't find a map of Area 51. And, you know, I told them uh, you can find the Area 51 on the Las Vegas sectional, which is published by <clears throat> the FAA, and uh, it's there clearly. And he said they looked at it and they couldn't find any Area 51. <laughs> but you know, but they're you know they know too much about uh, uh, secret test sites, and they don't know that the Area 51, the name is not Area 51. It's uh, R for restricted. Uh, 4808 North. That's not it, but let me see if I can find out. That's it. Anyway, I told them about that, and I <clears throat> gave them, uh, I sent them uh, some, uh, some uh, maps and showed them how clearly uh, Area 51, oh, here it is, R4808 North. And that's the name of uh, uh, Area 51. Uh, and uh, they don't put Area 51 because Area 51 is just a, is, is a name uh, that some people know it by, but not the, you know, not the FAA or pilots or anything like that. So I'm hoping I, I sent that last night. Oh, I'm hoping they uh, 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 sent that last night and uh I'm hoping they uh, looked at that very carefully. Did you say John Robert Steele? Did you mean do you mean Robert David Steele, the former CIA officer? Yeah. 
Okay, yeah, I've known him for many oh, good. years. Yes, I've known uh, for years too, and we've we've done many interviews. And I'm glad that you're connected, because you said something interesting about these underground bases. By the way, there's no censorship here. You can go anywhere, right? I know that you have certain certain agreements in the past that you cannot breach. But let me just ask you, because I've had this conversation with Robert. You know that in the United States, and they lost count, they don't report them anymore, but it's about 800,000 children go missing every year, right? Absolutely. Would you agree that there might be a correlation between whoever inhabits these places, and I'm going to say one word, adrenochrome. You, you, have you heard that word, adrenochrome? Uh, how do you spell it? Adrenochrome, like adrenaline, adrenochrome, eight, let me just, let me find it here, Adre Adrenochrome. It's adrenaline in your blood, right? And some of these satanic pedophiles in the higher echelons of government and, 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 and business, they take these children, they torture them to th death, and they remove their blood once it's filled with adrenaline, and they drink that. So I wonder... How much of this happens under our feet? You heard of all the Epstein, Epstein, Jeffrey Epstein, his home in New Mexico. He wanted to be a god and, and impregnate thousands of women with his DNA. Can you make a connection between what we're talking and these deviants? Um, you know, that's one subject that you don't want to talk about on radio or TV because it's a very, very sensitive subject. So, yes. Um, We'll, uh, we'll let that one go by the wayside. Okay. All right. Well, again, these, Area 51, AXO, Airline Access Only Military Base. And many people think that's the only one. We hear of Janet Airlines. Do you know any other AXO military bases that people are not aware of? Uh, the one that uh, I talk about on... Uh, uh, on thelivingroom.com, and of course, um, uh, what's his name, Zorgon, passed away a couple of months ago, and he would always put this uh, on the, the web for me. But uh, in 1980, uh, when I was flying up to the west side, uh, up at the test site, and that was my job, uh, was to fly around uh, where they were setting off the underground nuclear blasts. And I would give the, uh, I would transmit the winds, uh, direction and velocity uh, from uh, ground level up to 10,000 feet. And what they wanted to be sure was that if the bomb vented, like in the famous Bainberry accident where it vented through and through radiation all over the place, uh, they wanted to be sure it was going to blow towards Las Vegas. They wanted to blow towards the north. And um, that was my job. Now, during, you know, I'm applying a OB-10 Bronco, North American OB-10 Bronco, uh, with fantastic visibility. And there, you know, you can see all kinds of things. Now, I didn't see any, I couldn't see Area 51, uh, but I did see some uh, interesting uh, to the north there uh, of where they were doing the uh, nuclear test, there was a huge white area, and I couldn't figure out what was making that area white. Not only did I find out years later that uh, when they were when they started taking off the top of that mountain in order to build the secret uh, site inside, 
that it was a quartz mountain and all that quartz was was white and that's what uh, it looked like to me. But uh, in addition to that, uh, we they started building uh, uh, a new area uh, and uh, a new strip and it was up uh, 40 mi- 44 miles of the um, uh, of the uh, Wendover uh, Wendover Field runways, and uh, I put some. Uh, I kept getting information. And in those days, it was it was pretty easy. In in 1990, they clamped down uh, because they knew that people were telling me stuff they shouldn't, and uh, and they really did uh, clamp down and. I was not getting that much, but uh, I got some information. One of the information was that uh, everybody was based in uh, Twin Falls and that it took an hour and 45 minutes to get to the base. Uh, They drove south and there was a bunch of little uh, stuff uh, about this base. And of course, since then, we found out it's a, a huge, huge base. And uh, uh, that's where the black triangles fly out of. And uh, in those days, you know, in 1985, uh, we had no way of hiding that stuff. And then shortly afterwards, uh, we did find a way to hide um, runways or hide uh, areas uh, by uh, a transmit of a, a certain uh, code and I'm not sure what it was or how it worked, but uh, they could point these uh, transmitters at uh, at, a, at an area, and uh, it would make you think uh, that it was just you know um, desert like it was before they turned it into a huge uh, field, and uh, and uh, what <clears throat> what they did with the pilots that were flying in there because it looked like um, uh, it looked like desert to the pilot flying in there and they'd give them radar vectors to about uh, three uh, two, two or three hundred feet and then they'd turn off whatever was creating this uh, desert scene and they could see the runway and so then the pilots would land uh, and roll out on the runway and then they'd turn on the uh, the uh, uh, I forget what what they call them. They turn on the uh, uh, the whatever they were gonna uh, make the area look like, whether it was forests or deserts or or whatever. And this is what uh, is uh, forty more miles south of Wendover. It's actually uh, you can find it on just about any map. It's called Ferber Flats, and there's a there's a uh, map you can order from. I think it's uh, Nevada Publications of, um, I think it's called Curie in that area. There's a, there's a uh, town up there and um, the, uh, the map that holds that uh, area, of course, it doesn't show that there's a runway, but it shows exactly where <clears throat> the runway would be. And so, you know, I'm too old to go up there and find out what happened, but the way I found out about it was, uh, number one, is the Air Force, and they don't do this anymore, they asked for an extension of the MOA, the Military Operating uh, Area, 
to extend over this um, base from the Gandhi, that's G-A-N-D-Y, Gandhi uh, Mullen, and uh, they published this information uh, in the Review Journal. And uh, what they were doing is they were pretending that they needed that area for flight training, uh, but they didn't. They were trying to use that area to uh, cover up the secret base that was there. And since then, we found absolutely that that it's there, and it's been, let's say, now that's uh, 90, and uh, it's been 30 years. Uh, and uh, I lucked out having a uh, electrician doing some work in my home, and we got talking about um, hunting, and he told me he had had a, uh, a permit to hunt deer in the area where this was, uh, 44 miles south of Wendover. And uh, he told me, exact showed exactly on a map where he had uh, gotten out of his car, where he parked his car, and where he walked, and over what range he walked. And uh, when he got near uh, this one area, he'd start seeing these uh, white SUVs. And uh, this guy was uh, uh, trained for... Uh, uh, escape and evasion, and he was able to uh, get away from these people and uh, get away from the security and then to tell me what uh, where it was and uh, how it operated. And, uh, you know, I've since then uh, published uh, information to the Air Force that if they were smart, you know, what they do is instead of having white SUVs, which is a cut, which is a tip-off, <laughs> that there's something going on there. Because you have an old, uh, you know, truck with uh, no tailgate and a couple of guys in old, you know, jeans and stuff. And he, uh, like they were just uh, uh, looking around in uh, no particular, uh, uh, no no particular uh, uh, thing that they're, they're working on. Um, uh, but it would make, it wouldn't make anybody uh, suspicious of, that they were actually military, but they don't want to do that. They want to be, um, they want to be, uh, their white SUVs and, uh, and like that. And that area is, uh, <clears throat> 44 miles of South of Wendover. Uh, and you can get your map and it's on uh, Ferber flats. And uh, I think it's just a little to the, uh, Southwest of Ferber flats where this huge airport is. Now, there's plenty of, there's, there's gotta be at least, uh, I remember in 1980 talking about uh, the uh, secret bases uh, that, the, uh, that the military had. And I remember in 1985 <clears throat> that uh, Jim Godall told me there was at least uh, 30 air access only uh, bases, which means you can only get in from air. You can't drive in. <clears throat> and uh, they were all over the United States, and they did all kinds of stuff. Now, uh, obviously, the military is planning for something, some issue. I don't know what it is, uh, and I really don't care, uh, but they're planning for something. And I don't know what it is, but uh, it's kind of interesting to watch it unfold. I want to discuss what you just said about the possibility of another 
conflict that a lot of people are not even suspecting. But remember 1990, 1991, before that, when people used to see the stealth bomber and people would say, oh, that's just a conspiracy theory, and they rolled it out during the the Persian Gulf War. Do you think that TR-3B, these black triangles, will be rolled out at one point if there's an, a new world or a new conflict anywhere around the world? Do you think they're going to roll them out? Well, yeah, you know, the TR-3B, that's an old... Um as an old plan, they've got much better stuff going. And what they did is about five years ago, they moved S4, uh, as we all know where Bob worked, and all the uh, uh, the uh, anti-grab uh, work that they were doing uh, to um, Woomera in uh, South Central Australia. And what it is, it's a, the Woomera area is a huge uh, where the uh, Australians used to uh, uh, do their um, atomic bomb tests. And uh, there's all kinds of underground areas, uh, hangars, uh, offices, and it fit perfect uh, for what they wanted because they were tired of people driving up to Rachel, uh, to, uh, uh, Rachel and uh, looking at you know the stuff that they were trying to do in secrecy. And they said, okay, well, we're just going to move, and we're going to move to Australia. And that's where it all moved, and it took uh, a couple months to that's, move It's not the same there. as Pine Gap, right? It's not the same as Pine Gap. No, Pine Gap's in the middle right. uh, of Australia, and Woomera is South Central. And uh, I'm not sure whether I have uh, any of those maps on uh, uh, BelivingMoon.com, but you can take a look. Uh, I'm sure I do have it somewhere on my uh, Facebook page uh, where they did it. And I have a friend that uh, works there, and he was the one that told me uh, that he saw uh, those anti-grab things flying around. Some of them were perfect triangles. Uh, Some of them were elongated triangles. But the most interesting thing is, is when they flew over, you could hear the sound of a reciprocating engine like uh like on a Cessna 310 or a, a beach craft you could hear uh a, a reciprocating engine uh running and we thought that was a very clever uh way to hide their program because people uh if they hear a a, a an engine sound they're not going to look up but if they see uh, bright lights uh, they are definitely going to look up. So if they broadcast uh, this sound of a of a uh, reciprocating engine, uh, it's a perfect way to get people uh, to disregard what what's going on there. So you think it's just sound? It's not a it's not an engine to propel it. No, no, it's just a fake sound. Now you mentioned the evasion and eviction codes, and that just brought me. Uh, a thought that I want to discuss with you, because you you used to fly missions, you know, for the government during Vietnam. Am I correct? Yeah. Okay. Uh, not Vietnam, but Laos. <laughs> right, right, right. Satellite pictures that came out in the eighties showing rice fields in Southeast Asia, showing escape and evasion coats of some of the POWs left behind. This is the nineteen eighties. Have you heard about this? Uh, say that again. Okay. Evasion and eviction. Satellite imagery from the 1980s showing rice fields 
obviously showing that there were some of our POWs still alive in the 1980s, early 80s in Southeast Asia. That could be. Do you have any information that you want to share about that or you don't? Well, no. Uh, It's... um Hold on just a second. We have a, a dog that's missing, and my wife wanted me to print some flyers. And I oh, sorry. And, and I forgot all about your program. And uh, fortunately, you woke me up, but she's interested in getting me to do that, which I'm going to do after we talk. But uh, your last question was what? No, just the evasion and eviction codes. Your take on these POWs that were still alive in the 1980s, and this was brought to the president and the vice president, and the, the person who, who brought this up said, was told, don't bring this up again. Yeah. Yeah, they're, uh, they're still there, and I forget how many there are, they're, what, 1,500? Um, uh, and, uh, you know, it, this, it's been, what, let's see, let's say uh, 70, 80, 90, there has been only 50 years uh, they probably don't want to come back. So, you know, I know about the problem and I know they're trying to, uh, uh, to solve it, but you know, there's a lot of these people that don't want to come back. So you, you think there are still people who are alive and do not want to come back? Not that Vietnam learned from Cuba during the, the, uh, Bay of Pigs where we had to almost like give war reparations to Cuba And then Vietnam wanted the same. And then we said, nope, we're not going to give you any money. So they kept our POWs as bargaining chips. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's going on. But let me take, let's see, if the guy was 20 in 1970, uh, and it's uh, at 30, so that's 50, at 20, 70 years old. Yeah, it's pretty, uh, you know, I'm not sure whether it's still going on because the guy's got to be 70 years old at this time, right? Right, right. Now, you you mentioned years, by the way, Living Moon, Ron Schmidt, did I hear that he passed away? Yeah, passed away a couple of June. months ago. It was a very shock, shock to all of us. And I think that somebody was going to try and resurrect uh, Ron's work. But, uh, you know, he did such an amazing job uh, of everything that he did. So uh, when I talked to Robert David Steele uh, about the uh, subway, he went to the... Um, uh, livingmoon.com and, and found a very good uh, area where uh, it shows all the, the work that I did on undercover, uh, on covering up that uh, high-speed subway that take all the people to uh, the uh, uh, the secret test site. Now, uh, I just had a, uh, a carpenter doing some work on my bookshelves here a couple of weeks, a couple of days ago, and uh, I hadn't seen him in, uh, you know, five, five, six, seven, eight years. And I said, you know, where all you been? And he said, oh, you know, working here and here. He was in the, uh, <clears throat> he was in the union, the carpenter union. And uh, uh, he said, I've been doing some work down at the Aria. And I said, really? What, what doing? And uh, he said, well, they got something there that's, uh, there's six, story levels under the ground level of Aria and uh, there's something down there and he said the security is far more than you would imagine uh, for just you know uh, your regular uh, secret you know whatever's going on and uh, 
he told me a little about it, and then I briefed him on what's happening. And what happened is, you know, they used uh, the underground terminal for the Bellagio, but then they, you know, they outgrew that because they got so many people uh, that get on these subways, and so they had to use the Aria uh, for uh, more people to get up there, and they had to build the uh, underground terminal uh, and uh, and extension of the subway uh, that uh, that comes from uh, <clears throat> comes from uh, uh, Luxor. Now, the reason they started the Luxor is that the terminal at the Luxor is because it's just across the street from Special Project. And Special Project there is at uh, the northwest corner of uh, McCarran Field. And that's where all the 737s and Beach 99s and, and all the stuff that they fly uh, people up to the test site, Groom Lake, Tonopah Test Range. Uh, but, you know, they didn't want anybody to know that uh, <clears throat> there was more secret stuff going on. And uh, what they did is they built a, a uh, moving sidewalk that would take you from uh, uh, special projects there in uh, McCarran Field over to uh, Luxor, to the terminal under the Luxor. And then you get on the uh, high-speed subway and, uh, <laughs> excuse me, and go to uh, the Bellagio and then uh, up to the secret test site. Like I said, I don't know what the name of it is anymore, but uh, it's a huge operation. You have to cost in the billions of dollars, and uh, uh, they've done a pretty good job of keeping it secret, and I'm going to see now, what, since I've given everything to the Review Journal, uh, they don't seem to publish any of the uh, really spooky stuff like the October 1st um, uh, the October first. Uh, what do they call that thing? The shooting. Uh, the, 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 yeah, the the shooting. shooting. That, yeah. Yeah, and uh, you know it's uh, it was you know what what's his name? What was the, the guy they tended on? Uh, I'll tell you in a second. Yes, I, I wanted to ask you what your take is on that. Uh, on, I mean, what, what do you think? Supposedly, he was an arms dealer, a shooter, Las Vegas, uh, October. First, what was his name? Uh, I'll find it in a second. Yes, but what's your take on that event? Well, he was—he uh, worked for the FBI, and what he was doing is he was buying uh, arms uh, that the FBI was selling to uh, ISIS. Now, everybody said, "Well, what would the FBI selling arms to ISIS for?" Stephen I Paddock. Stephen Paddock. Paddock. Yeah, and they said that you know Stephen was a, a rogue. Uh, arms dealer, and uh, but but it wasn't. He worked for the FBI. It was undercover, and uh, they had sent his boss was uh, Aaron, I think uh, Russo or something. His uh, boss, and uh, they sent him uh, over the past couple of years to round up these weapons, and uh, there was going to be some kind of exchange uh, on that time that they had the uh, the issue there. And it got all screwed up somehow. And, uh, you know, they say 800 people wounded and 58 people uh, died. That's not true. I don't know how many people died, but it certainly wasn't 58. And 800 people wounded, that's, that's the one. 
<clears throat> one fact that stands out is uh, when they went to clean up uh, the area where the festival was, festival was, they didn't find one single drop of blood. Uh, and this is after telling us that there were 600 people or 800 people wounded and uh, and 58 people killed. It was just nonsense. And uh, I kept up on all this for a while, but as I get older, I don't, don't keep up with the information and, and it loses. But uh, that was a scam. And uh, the sheriff uh, was caught up in it. And the FBI guy, I think his name was uh, Aaron uh, Roos, I forget what his name was, but he forced our sheriff, uh, Las Vegas sheriff, uh, to lie that there was only a, a single shooter. <laughs> they wounded 800 people. I mean, it's just crazy. Aaron uh, Ford. And so, it's when? Aaron Ford. Yeah. Uh, oh, Aaron Ford. Yeah, the ex-sheriff. No, he's the... Uh, attorney General. He's the Attorney General for Las Vegas. But the guy who was head of the FBI was uh, uh, in Las Vegas. Do you have his name? Looking. What? I'm looking for his name. Anyway, he's the one that took uh, uh, our sheriff and paraded him in front of the, uh, the news cameras and uh, and had him say this is you know we this is uh, a single shooter there's no one guy uh, he's the one that uh, killed everybody and it was just complete BS <clears throat> and uh, Aaron Rouse by the way Aaron Rouse special agent in charge of the FBI office in in Vegas and and by the way shortly after that happened John, I get, uh, should I say this? I'll say it. But I get people who work in security within a lot of those hotels, including the Mandalay Bay, and they told me, by the way, we already have X-ray scanners on the doors and behind paintings and all over the place. So we don't need these scanners that they're proposing that we're going to be putting in hotels and schools and buses and trains. And not only that, how do you get thousands of pounds of weapons through a hotel that's completely <laughs> surveilled is just beyond anybody's imagination. Absolutely. It's just ridiculous. But uh, what year was that now? 2018? Uh, no, hold on, no. Yeah, October 1st, 2017. We, I did a, a show with Robert David Steele about it, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, David Steele's got a lot of good things going on. And uh, uh, I, I had this show him uh, a lot of stuff about the secret subway before he decided to uh, put it on because you don't want to come out and say there's a secret subway if there's not, but there is so much evidence out there. And uh, uh, I'm saying here just uh, a couple of minutes ago, I had a uh, carpenter doing some work on yeah. a bookshelf that I wanted and uh he said he worked at the uh, Aria, and, and I said, what's going on there? He said, they've got uh, uh, some kind of uh, uh, area, uh, some kind of uh, place that's six stories or 60 feet under the ground level. And uh, all he did was frame doors. 
Uh, and then when I told him what they were really doing, he said, well, now that explains everything. And uh, he knew uh, what they were doing there in uh, making a different terminal uh, for all the people that were they were trying to get up to the test site. So how big, how big, John, do you know who Dr. Richard Souter is? Yeah. How big is this network of underground highways from Maglev that perhaps goes from coast to coast? How much do you know about this? Uh, a little bit. It's huge. And it includes every major city and every, uh, you know, the highways are uh, uh, six lanes uh, and uh, they are under the major cities of uh, most of the major cities of the U.S. <clears throat> and uh, they not only have um, highways and freeways, uh, they have complete towns. And uh, the other day there was a show on the History Channel, I think it was, about the secrets of the White House. And, and uh, they had a program about all this stuff that was being uh, dug uh, under the West Wing. And they were trying to figure out what it was for. And, and they had all these guys saying, well, they're trying to uh, uh, improve uh, the survivability of the White House uh, for a nuclear, a 74 megaton uh, nuclear bomb. And uh, that wasn't it. What they were doing was uh, they were building a, a terminal uh, for uh, the, uh, uh, the subway. Uh, and they were, you know, they hadn't uh, included the subway uh, in, or they hadn't included the uh, White House into the subway terminal because the president doesn't have high enough clearance uh, to know about all this. But there was other people that do have high enough clearance that needed to use the subway. So that's what they were building there. And on the History Channel, they had all the stuff that was uh, that was necessary. And uh, they were talking about all the stuff that was going on right under the West Wing. So if the president, and by the way, the highest elected official, the president of the United States, does not have that high of a clearance, does that mean that if the president wanted to, he could not even access the door of those places? No, he couldn't. He doesn't have enough clearance. And neither does, you know, I think there's an issue here where the Joint Chiefs of Staff uh, wanted some uh, information and and pointed out that they didn't have a clearance. And there's a lot of people that uh, are in high areas that are starting to find out about UFOs and that there was a lot of stuff uh, that they don't know about. And uh, they can't figure out why they don't know about it. So that's going on right now. If it's not the president, who issues the highest clearance? Don't know. I call them the, uh, and, and these are maps that uh, you can find under my Facebook page, uh, the uh, uh, the Nazi Zionist, uh, Nazi Zionist something. And uh, the, you know, when, uh, when at the end of World War II, uh, uh, Hitler was switched off to Spain, uh, and then to Tenerife, and uh, then to Argentina, uh, and then Paraguay, and uh, he ended up in the United States, 
And actually, he passed away in, in uh, 19, uh, let's see, 68. And I think he passed away at the, uh, uh, the uh, what's that hospital? It's in, uh, I can't remember, in the Midwest, very famous hospital. Uh, but anyway, <clears throat> that's where he was. And this, this, uh, this Nazi uh, Zionist control uh, they control everything, and uh, right now they have uh, everybody uh, <clears throat> under their thumb. There's nothing anybody can do about it. So uh, that shouldn't bother anybody who's really interested in what's going on, because uh, all we, all the troops are interested in, is living their lives with with, uh, with integrity and without and behavior great. So. So you, you think, go. John, you think that a lot of Nazis, including Hitler, fled to Argentina, maybe to Antarctica. And do you think that what we saw in 1952, the UFOs over Washington, D.C., do you think those were Nazis and not extraterrestrials? No, I don't think so. I think those were extraterrestrials. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> there certainly are uh, uh, Nazi uh, <clears throat> craft. Uh, but but what we saw there was was, was not Nazi craft. That was ET that we see. And what about the metallic craft that we see? Could it be that they continued there because they had done New Schwabenland in Antarctica? Do you think they continued? And that's why Admiral Byrd had to return. Absolutely, all that stuff was going on, and that's why you can't get any information out of uh, out of Antarctica. Now, what's your take on that? The agreement of so many countries that do not allow the excellence of the world or BP to go and, you know, do some exploration there. Nobody is out there. <laughs> That's right. Got a question? <laughs> what do you think is beyond Antarctica? Could it be something else? Well, it's a huge ED base uh, under all the ice and snow. And, uh, it's huge there, so, you know, I don't know exactly what's going on, but there's one thing that's for sure, and they don't want us poking around uh, and finding out. Now, you probably heard, uh, by the way, we have one hour to go. Do you need a break? Uh, yeah, I guess I could use a break. Thank you for listening to the first part of this very important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest and all of our material, Proceed to the member section, or join the Veritas family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for, MMS, CBD pure hemp oil, pure organic sulfur, and other great products. And if you're listening on YouTube, click on like, subscribe, and share. Thank you.